Once upon a time, there was a little girl who lived in a little house in the little woods. Every morning she woke up and picked little berries for her little breakfast. She fed her little chickens, made her little bed, sang a little song, and did a little dance. Life was simple, but good. One day, while she was out feeding her little chickens, a man came walking out of the little woods and towards her little house. He was like nothing she had ever seen before. The man was big. Hello there, he said with his big voice. Hello, she said in return. Have you seen another man walk by here, he asked. I was out on a walk with my friend, and I seem to have gotten turned around. Another man like you? The little girl asked. Yes, said the man. I suppose he is like me. I have never seen anyone like you before, said the little girl, her eyes wide. Never, said the man. Never, said the girl. How strange, said the man. Would you mind if I waited here just a little while? He might come by this way, my friend. Okay said the little girl, and she continued to feed her little chickens. She was just about to start her little song when the man interrupted her. Excuse me, he said, but why is your house so little? Well, I am little, my mother is little, my bed is little, my chickens are little. It just makes sense. We all fit here just right, said the little girl having never given it a moment's thought before. I see, said the man. Have you ever been outside these little woods? The girl thought for a moment and said, No, I have everything I need right here. Why would I leave? The world outside is so big, he said. Big, said the little girl. But why would I want something big? I am not big. Maybe you could be, said the man. Perhaps it is your little house and your little bed and these little woods that are keeping you little. Did you ever think of that? No, said the little girl. Maybe you should, said the big man. Well, I think I should be going now. Thank you for letting me pass the time here. Perhaps one day we will meet again, out where it is big. Perhaps said the little girl, and she watched the big man walk back into the little woods. What a strange day the girl had. She had never thought about anything big. Was it bad to be small? The little girl went about her day. She ate her little supper and was tucked into her little bed, but scarcely had she been asleep for an hour when something caused her to wake up. It was a strange sound scratching sound from under her bed. The little girl froze in terror. What could it be? Was it a monster? Maybe the man was right. Maybe her little world had kept her little to make it easier for the monsters to swallow her whole. Maybe if she went out into the world, she could get big, and then she would be safe in her little house once again. Yes thought the little girl. I will go out and get big. But I better do it quickly. I can hear the monster scratching. 
And so she took a few things with her and ran out into the little woods. It was dark and cold, and soon the little woods turned big, and the little girl was afraid. She traveled for days and days. She saw big houses and big people with big things that made big noises. The world around her was so big, but she was still little. I don't understand, said the little girl. The man said it would make me big, but here I am in the big, and I am still so little. She cried in despair and lay down beneath a big tree in a big field. The little girl was hungry and tired and soon fell fast asleep. When the little girl woke, the sun was setting. She opened her eyes and stretched her arms, and when she stood up, she knocked her head on the tree. Well, that's strange, she said. I didn't hit my head there before. She looked around and noticed lots of things she couldn't see when she first arrived because they were too high up. <gasps> Wait! Could it be? It had happened. She was big. Oh, I must go tell mother, she thought, and she ran all the way home on her big, fast legs. But when she got there, she realized she could not fit in her front door. Her house was too little. Her bed was too little. And her little chickens were afraid of her big, stomping feet. Mother, cried the big girl, her tears splashing down on the ground. Oh, said her little mother. My dear girl, you have gone out and gotten big. You cannot live in our little house anymore. But, the little girl cried, I heard a monster under my bed and was afraid it would swallow me whole. And now I am too big to be swallowed by the little monster. But I'm also too big for our little house. Oh, my sweet child, said her little mother. What makes you think that some monsters aren't big. And then, from the little tops of the little trees, the girl saw big eyes peering out at her. She knew her mother was right, and life was not so simple anymore. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. We are back with a particularly perplexing case. We've done a couple missing child cases before. We don't routinely do them. But this one is like flies in the face of all conventions. Yeah. It seems to me to be like the weirdest of them out there. We are talking this week about the disappearance of nine-year-old Aisha Degree. And this is like a hotly contested internet case too. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about it. Yeah, for sure. 
It also came up a lot during the Gabby Petito coverage because while Aisha's case did get coverage, and it did, people say it didn't, mm-hmm. but it definitely did, did not get the like prolonged investigation that Gabby seemed to get. And this kind mm-hmm. of shed a little bit of a spotlight on a missing white girl syndrome. Okay. So that's why it kind of came back into discussion there too. That's interesting to mm-hmm. me though, that they picked this case. To it do is that interesting. With because it's, it was so long ago. So why wouldn't they have like, Talked about a case that was happening, at or that one time. that got no coverage. Well, that's this what one I mean. did get coverage. I was actually shocked at how much coverage. Me this too, one because got. it's always an example of like, this is a forgotten case, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because we run in true crime circles, and so maybe. we're seeing this, maybe, and yeah. the general population isn't. But I saw like a a lot about it. Yeah, but more is more is more is more. Anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. so this one really put us in a dark place, though, because it's very sad. Yes. And sad in a in a way that just makes you think, because we really don't know a lot. Mm-hmm. And we don't often talk about kids for that very reason. Because when you spend too long in the dark, it makes you very pale and sickly looking. Yes. Like no vitamin D, nope. sitting in a cave. Mm-hmm. And we tried to counteract this with like snacks and wine, but that strangely doesn't doesn't fix anything. It really doesn't. It should, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something else that will. Okay. Just a little cup of... Ooh. Validation. The hill worth dying on. I love that you were so happy about it this week. Ooh. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) And lucky us, our fiends can provide us with some. But how? But how, you must be asking yourself. I am. You are. Wow. Oh, my goodness. You're excited. I'm so excited. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention. Attention equals support. And support equals more and better content for all of you. This is really exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But if you just cannot wait... Yes. The more sometimes we would be dead in your life. No yeah, sometimes I can't wait. And if that's you right now, don't worry. You don't have to. Okay. Right? How? You can support us over on Patreon. Patreon. I wish you guys could see our hand gesture. We do one every time. Yeah. You'll just have to wonder what it is. Maybe you can guess. Go into our Facebook group and take a picture of yourself doing whatever you think we're doing. Mm-hmm. God, I hope that happens. <laughs> Anyway, there for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after-show, Host Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats. Maybe you want to see our face. Maybe you don't. Both are okay. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, opportunities to participate in some merch giveaways. We should do one of those soon. We should, yeah. We had an anniversary. Okay, well, keep your eye out, patrons. You also get an on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. Wow. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. Yeah. 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 It's a nice place to be. I like it. I like it too. I joined last week. You're a patron. <laughs> you just take money out of one pocket and put it in the other one? Is that how that goes? Guess, guess who's getting a shout out? Oh boy. <laughs> toast to Leslie this week. That's not right. We don't put any of this money in our pockets. <laughs> no. Not a dime. It all goes back into our studio and stuff. 
And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. Leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode. Tell us when you're listening. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell the uh, truck driver you have semi-awkward encounters with at a local rest stop. I don't know why you're at a rest stop. Maybe you need a Coke. What's their name? You suggested this guy. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy? Yeah. Man, he That's is a also name. a sex worker. <laughs> so definitely tell him because he is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then your friends and Midnight Cowboy. He's always talking to Sassy Sally over the CB radio. Oh, boy. <laughs> I really like them. Oh, tell them both. Yeah. Tell them both. Tell the CB radio crew, then then those guys can become fiends and we can all hang out together. Old Smokey. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many of them. Just Russ. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't think of a name. It's all right. He works really hard. It's fine. Yeah, yeah we He's like new. Him. He's a new guy. He's a new guy? Oh, newbie. New Russ. Oh, Bambi. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Guys, full disclosure, I have not had my Adderall in like two months. So you're getting all of the rabbit holes and yeah. distractions. I was finally diagnosed with ADHD and there's no Adderall to give me. That's right. That's right. We Okay. Well, I think that's our niche, Leslie. Yeah. Is that we are easily distractible. But you know what? It's always interesting. It really is. I think so. Yeah. Anyway. I think so. I get too tired. and just I take a lot of naps. <laughs> I, I'd never sleep. I know you and I are very different spectrums. We are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's all I have for this week before we begin. Leslie, do you have anything else to add? Well, that's great, Holly. So um, thank you for throwing it over to me. I don't have anything this week. So I'm going to throw it right back to you. All right, then. On with the show. <laughs> I think what scares me the most about reporting true crime, especially true crime like this, that's so mysterious, is that nearly every incident happens on a perfectly normal day. No one wakes up in the morning thinking, this is going to be the worst day of my life. Something mm -hmm. awful is clearly going to happen. They wake up and do normal things with the normal people in their life. And then there it is. And that's exactly how this story starts. And again, I'm sure there are people that wake up with existential dread, but it's not recommended. Right. It does happen. Mm -hmm. On Sunday, February 13th, 2000, nine-year-old Aisha Degree went to church, went home, spent the day with her family, and went to bed on time. The next morning, her mother opened her door at 6.30 a.m., expecting to see her sleepy fourth grader burrowed under her covers. But instead, she opened the door to find an empty bed and no sign anywhere in the house of Aisha and no one ever saw or heard from her again. Yikes. Yeah. And I'm not going to give you guys a whole lot of answers this week, unfortunately. That's a lot more questions. Sure, yeah, sure. Ooh, that's the, that's the theme for, for this month, it seems. But I guess that says a lot about certain things. Anyway, yeah. what tiny pieces of the story the police are able to uncover make little to no sense. It appeared astonishingly that Aisha had actually run away. Now, I know that normally when those words come up, 
we have a billion alarm bells going off in our heads. Mm -hmm. That's like the biggest red flag in the world. One of our slogans is they are not a runaway. But in this case, she really did run away. Mm -hmm. Did I mention she was nine? She's not. She was nine at the time. Yeah. Fourth grader. Jeez. It is not. That is really not a common thing. It is highly unusual for a child that young Mm -hmm. to leave their house alone in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. That always strikes me. I'm like, you know, when they're 14 or 15, that's a little young. We say like, it's possible that they left. You have big opinions and ideas at that point in your life. Maybe you did. Not at nine. Yeah. They usually say that from 12 and up is when police will consider that it might have been a, a runaway. Really? Mm-hmm. And then it, and it really upticks at the age 15 as being like a stronger possibility. But mm. under that age, under 12, and especially between like 8 and 10, it just, it's less likely. And really, you then just have to look at the household for okay. a possible reason. So it could be like something was going on in the house. So it could have been sexual and or a physical abuse, drug or alcohol abuse, a death in the family, a highly restrictive household, fear of getting in trouble from doing something wrong. Or especially when they're like really little, they might be like, oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. But also they might be scared of that because maybe there was abuse in the house. So they're afraid Mm. of like how much they could get in trouble and how badly that might be. Or maybe they're mad at their parents and they want to punish them and they're like not really thinking clearly. But some of those reasons are more so like a restrictive household is a lot more indicative of someone that's older because they might be feeling more independent at this point. So if they can't be doing something in their house, they're like, well, then I can go live on my own. But like... Not when you're nine. No. You don't have that sense. You just think that the way your house is run is the way every house is run. Exactly. So you have no like real basis for comparison. Exactly. So it could be like... Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's mostly because something's going on at the house is indicative of like a younger kid leaving. Yeah, that's always my thought with this case. Was she running from something or running to something? Right. Because that just like vague, I'm going to leave and start my own life. I don't feel like that thought pattern is there with a kid that young. Right. And I guess like the research you did backs that up. Mm-hmm. And so 12. That's interesting. She's under that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cops also don't, it's funny, that must be why, because they don't jump to that with her. They don't go to her house and go, eh, whatever. She's probably walking down the highway. They're like, uh, Mm -hmm. what is happening? Which we'll get to that in a minute. But that is, it is interesting that this treat, this case isn't treated as casually as other like runaways. And she actually did run away. Yeah. And I would even say like in some of the research, because I, a lot of this research actually took me to like predators in general. Well, so if say it's something like that at a young age, it wouldn't necessarily be their forethought to run away. So it would be maybe somebody else else giving them them the idea to run away. We'll talk to that. We'll speak on that after we get like through the whole Mm -hmm. timeline. But there are a lot of, there is, sorry, a lot of speculation that she had been talking to someone in one way or another who suggested that she do this. Yeah. But we have we have no proof of that at all. So mm-hmm. anyway. So then where did Aisha go? Why did she leave? And most importantly, where is she now? While there is, of course, the expectation from a lot of people that at this point she's probably likely maybe dead, 
since we haven't heard from her in 23 years. But that's only based on historical precedent. We don't have evidence of anything either way in this case. Aisha's family clings to the belief that she definitely could still be alive, and she could be. And I, I really, I understand holding mm-hmm. out hope. After all, there is no evidence that they're wrong either. Right. And they're often misquoted. A lot of times headlines about this case are like, girl's family insists she's still alive. They don't insist she's still alive. They insist on not grieving her until they know she's dead. And I think there is a major difference in those statements. Mm -hmm. They say, until you can prove to me that she is dead, I will not declare her in my own mind to be dead. Mm -hmm. And that is perfectly understandable. Right. And I would say specifically for this case, there is very little evidence of yet to really like get you down a line of thinking that she's dead. There isn't. You're right. There, There's there's no evidence that, that there was just even any harm in that regard. No. Yeah. So like this is a case about a kid, but we don't ever talk about anything awful happening to her. Mm-hmm. We have no evidence of that at all, which is good, but also so curious. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you may be asking, are there at least some clues, right? Well, yeah, there are there are clues. Are they helpful? Not not very. Mostly they're very confusing. But maybe if the right set of ears and eyes land on Aisha's story, one way or another, she will finally make her way back home. Yes. So, let me be very clear. This whole story is super unusual, you guys. It's not going to follow any of the templates or tropes the other stories in the past have. And I hate to say that those exist, but they do. A lot of times when we look at a missing person or a missing child, especially, there's one of like three or four situations that they fall into. None of them apply here. Um, And it goes rogue immediately. So let's get into the story. No real twists and turns this week because the actual timeline has enough of them on its own. Yeah. It's all weird. So let's start with our location. Set the stage. According to most reports, Asia's story takes place in Shelby, North Carolina. Now, unlike our usual locations, which tend to be small towns with a little diversity and not much going on, A lot of times kids are bored and that's why with kids' stories, they end up doing something. But again, nine years old, not really that bored yet. Shelby, while rural in some places, is actually a bigger city with a large and diverse population. And I struggle to call it a city because it's more of like a big town. It's like how you would call Cape May a city. Not really a city, but. Right. The uptown area has a large and active town square with lots of local businesses and restaurants. It's an epicenter of art and history and music and state government. It's like interesting. It's like a star's hollow. Where is that? Oh, Gilmore Girls. You know I don't watch that. But everybody else gets it. Jill got it. Jill got it. This is all for you, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So branching out from the uptown area, there are also lots of little pockets of rural neighborhoods and stretches of farmland. We've seen this kind of place before in our cases. Shelby is the county seat of Cleveland County, lying on the western edge of the state between Charlotte and Nashville. So there's Asheville, not Nashville. So there's two major cities on either side. It's a direct route, like, between them. Obviously, there's enough traffic. Shelby has a population of over 20,000, not a small town, and it has its own airport. Mm-hmm. And it's served by several major highways. Now, it seems like a pretty hard place to disappear if you're a little kid in the middle of the night without a trace. Yeah. That's noticeable. Yeah. And this seems like a place that's pretty populated. Like, there's people hanging out. Right. But here's the thing. That is not really where Aisha lived. Oh. Yeah. Not not exactly. Allow me to explain. Aisha and her family lived in the tiny neighboring, quote, rural hamlet of Falston, North Carolina, which is way, way, way smaller. It has a Shelby mailing address. Mm. It doesn't even have its own, like, 
post office or whatever. It's, it goes through Shelby. And it, it's more of a like a town within a town. Again, something we've seen before. But Falston is a little pocket of a place located right off Highway 18. And Falston's population is about 603 people. Oh, shit. Yeah, a lot less. Okay. Considerable. It is rural. The vast majority of the population is white. And the houses are all pretty far set back from the road. They have like a longer driveway off a highway. So they're like back. And it's not uncommon for them to have like outbuildings and stuff. Yeah. If you look up pictures of Shelby, that's not what you should be imagining. (laughs) And for me, that makes a difference. It is way easier in a place like that for a nine-year-old to disappear. Mm -hmm. So let's narrow it down a, a little bit more. Aisha lived on Oak Crest Drive in a duplex apartment. Now, this is also not the image you're going to have in your head. This this particular duplex apartment is a ranch-style home with a driveway on either side, and it's got, like, it's divided into two living spaces. Okay. Um, and both of them, it's, like, 1,700 feet total. So that split down the middle means your, your living place is pretty small mm. in one of the apartments. It's two-bedroom, one bath. So... Again, kids are in one room, parents are in the other, one bathroom, living room, kitchen. Okay. That's what you got. And I want you to keep this layout like in the like in the back pocket of your mind as we move forward mm-hmm. because it does, I think it is important. Now, before we get into the timeline, let's talk a little bit about Aisha and her family. Aisha Jaquilla Degree was born on August 9th, 1990 to parents Harold and Aquila. Harold and Aquila were married on Valentine's Day. Yes, 1988. Their son, O'Brien, was born a year later. And then a year after that, they welcomed Aisha. Yes. I know they got to it quick. Okay. Um, And that's, you you better get it, whatever you need to do. Um, So Aisha and O'Brien are like almost Irish twins. Yeah. There's less than a year of a distance between them. Okay. So they're very close. Their apartment on Oak Crest Drive, where they all lived together, is where they had been since the kids were born. So they spend their whole life being raised in this apartment, children sharing a bedroom. Harold and Aquila both work full-time jobs. Harold is a dock loader for PGI Industries, Inc. This is a warehouse job. with So he's like unloading trucks and stuff. Mm. It has long and sometimes inconvenient hours. And Harold's often worked second shift which means he left for work later in the afternoon, probably around two or three o'clock, and then didn't re- return home until like 11.30 or midnight. Okay. And Aquila worked for Kauai America in the neighboring town of Lincolnton assembling pianos. And she works, yeah, it's a pretty interesting job. She's putting together pianos. Yeah. And she works a normal nine to five shift. But if you line these up, you can see that this leaves a gap during the day where there's no parents at home yeah. and the children come home from school. Just remember that. Fortunately, the family um, was not without support. There's The degrees are a huge extended family. There's a lot of cousins and aunts and uncles and, and stuff like that. And they all live really close by. Good, okay. Yeah, which is nice. Good to have that kind of support. Also, they make up the 653 people. They're all 600 people in town. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it should be mentioned that Harold's mother... And either his sister or his sister-in-law. This language is different in every site, every single reference. So it's one or the other. Name is Gladys. Um, They live on like the same street. They're right there. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. The degrees were also very protective of their children and invested in their faith. They're church-going people. 
And a lot of sites will say they kept their children insulated. They say they keep them very insulated. I don't know that I would use that. They're just protective. They don't Mm -hmm. do a lot of extra unmonitored stuff. Uh, There was also no computer in the house. It's 2000, okay? Mm -hmm. This is the age of computers. Right. So it would be an outlier to not have a computer, especially because Aquila says it's by choice. They could have, they just didn't because she said in a 2013 interview with Jet Magazine, and she says it a lot of other places too, quote, every time you turned on the TV, there was some pedophile who lured somebody's child away via the internet. So she figured, I'm going to protect my kids. No internet. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Mm -hmm. The internet can absolutely be dangerous. And we had actually a very interesting discussion about this because in 2000, I was 18 Mm -hmm. and I don't really remember it being like, pedophiles will find you. (laughs) I remember being like totally unmonitored on the internet when I was younger. But you remember this time differently. Yeah. So I was in probably seventh grade Mm -hmm. because I'm only three years older than Asia. So I had friends that didn't have computers in their house. Okay. For the same reasons. Oh, really? Because I, yeah, the parents could have afforded one, but they just might not have wanted one okay. in there or they had a computer that only they could use so the kids weren't allowed to use it they probably did anyway they probably <laughs> um but and then I we were talking about schoolwork mm-hmm. and needing the computer but it really wasn't needed because there were computers at school that you might have like a computer class in just to learn how to use it you did typing tutor and and t- yeah played Oregon yes. Trail <laughs> exactly showing my yes. age but I remember all of my papers were handwritten because that was still a really big part of your yes! grade. I remember that. Well, uh, well, again, I was in high school, so mine were mostly types. But I typed them in the computer lab at school. Mm-hmm. I had a computer at home, too. But I did also make, make use of school computers. Right. I remember um, my mom bringing down her electric typewriter as like a, like a thing that I used. Oh, I for sure used computer. a typewriter for a while, too. Yeah. And if we did need something like to research... I mean, we were always going to the library. Anyway, we had a computer in our house, but I still went to the library all the time. Not it was to actually brag. I had a full set of Britannicas from 1964. Ooh, I had 1994. There's such appropriate <laughs> and updated information in those. Oh, yeah. You have to get them new every year. <laughs> so my dads are so old. They're so old. <laughs> really dated. I remember when we got the 1994 ones and... Mm. It was, I use those all the I time. I use encyclopedias all the time. I yeah. think kids are missing out not having to like comb the pages yeah. of an encyclopedia. That's where I learned about the Siamese twins. <laughs> you had to check Adam's logic. Yeah. I love it. But I also had like, um, it was, it was software. What was the, what was the encyclopedia? The Britannica software. Was it Britannica online? Yeah. There was another one. There too. was like a, yeah. Yeah. Like a disc. Yeah. I had those too. Yeah. Same. Such research. I know. <laughs> But I had to look for books. All, yeah. all of our research was still through books. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, I don't think that it's weird that they didn't have the computer. I think that maybe in a few more years, they might have gotten one. Also, I don't know their income situation. Right. And they also could have been like, we don't really need to spend money on the computer. Well, the anyway. kids were little too. Yeah. I, I more along the lines of was, was taken aback by at in the year 2000 being so concerned with internet predators. I didn't oh, realize yeah. it was that pervasive at that point in time. Because I had aged out and nobody was trying to predator me. Yeah, no, so. we were all sexy children at this age and Not everybody me. wanted us. Um, no, I remember, that's right, you and I talked about this too because mm-hmm. all of my TV shows that I watched always had an episode about sexual online predators. Yeah, I didn't have that. 
Yeah. This is our generational gap. It doesn't always rear its head, but it did this week. Mm -hmm. No, that was a big thing. We learned about it in school all the time. It was a big fear. Anytime I went over a friend's house, if we were chatting online, like a mom might come down and be like, who are you talking to? What are you doing? Oh, nobody gave a shit who we were talking to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And chat rooms were like big then. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I think it's weird now if kids are in chat rooms. I'm like, what do you, what is that? That's like a dated, (laughs) dated convention, but it didn't exist in Aisha's home. That's just something that we need to Mm -hmm. make note of. That doesn't mean it didn't exist elsewhere. Yeah. Because we use them at school. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway. We'll more of that later. So it's fair to say that the degree children were kind of sheltered, but I wouldn't necessarily call them like isolated or insulated. They went to school. They played sports, Mm -hmm. specifically basketball. Both kids played basketball. They attended church. According to their father, like when the adults were in church services, they did like kids Bible study. Okay. Which I guess would be like a little more fun for a kid. Yeah. And they loved it. They liked it a lot. They were very involved in the other kids there. All their cousins were there too. It was like a fun social thing that they did. Okay. They also spent time with their family a lot because it's a big family and they're all very close. And that's about the extent of their activities. Not a lot of these kids like go into other big events with like local children. They they did a lot of family stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Totally fine. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty normal for like church-going folks. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Nothing weird there. And because of their conflicting work hours, when the children were old enough to be able to unlock the door and like when they came home from school, that's what they would do. They would let themselves in. Um, School's five miles away, so they probably were let off a bus. And then walked from the bus stop, took the little key out of their backpack, opened the door, went inside, and they would do their homework for a couple hours until their parents came home. Okay. Now, when I was little, that wasn't super uncommon either. I walked home in fourth grade and was home alone too. Yeah. And I walked home a mile from my elementary Mm -hmm. school. It was not weird. Yeah. But that should be noted. They are what you would call back in the day, like latchkey kids. Mm -hmm. But this also means they have keys. Yeah. My, my, I don't think my mom would ever let me walk a mile away from my home because I was just too pretty of a child. I know. You're such a sexy baby. <laughs> now, I walked with a group of kids. Yeah, okay. So there was like my neighborhood had a ton of kids that went to the same elementary school. Mm-hmm. And like we would walk a route where one at a time we'd be dropped off. I was, of course, last, had the most biggest chance to die. <laughs> But there was one boy who would walk me all the way home and then go home. He was the nicest boy. That's so sweet. I know. Where's he today? Dad. Oh. I know. Takes a turn, right? It's really sad. It's really sad. I wrote an essay about it years ago. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But I wasn't alone the whole time. Okay. We'll talk about that later. And now you never are. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Anyway, both of the degree children were... um, People said that they were studious and responsible. So they took this seriously. They they did go home. They did stay in their house. Okay. They did do what they were supposed to do. And they didn't take advantage of the situation at all. Aisha was said to be a shy and sweet child. She loved school. She loved Bible study. She loved basketball. She just was like a kid. She did the normal kid things. And she had just started playing peewee basketball at the time of her disappearance. Okay. She was too shy to do stuff before, mm-hmm. but she finally like was starting to really love playing. And she was really good at it too. Mm. Her family also mentions that she did not like the dark. She was quiet and kept to herself a lot. And she was terrified of dogs. Mm. Okay. She liked to read. She was very bright and she did well in school. And her family remembers her as a happy girl who liked to make other people happy. Cute. I know. Just like a, like a little girl. Yeah. At the time of her disappearance, Aisha was in fourth grade at Falston Elementary School. 
The school is approximately five miles from her house, like I said. Again, keep that in your mind pocket. Now that everyone's equipped with the background, let's get into the timeline. So we start, it's uh, Valentine's Day weekend, 1990. And this, for the children of Cleveland County, was a three-day weekend. Yes, it was a teacher in-service. Okay. So they got Friday off. So on Friday the 11th, Harold and Aquila still had to work. So they sent Aisha and O'Brien to their older cousin Keisha's house for the afternoon. It was fun. They got to hang out at their cousin's house. They were then taken to Pee Wee basketball practice. I think it was like a community basketball, not school. So they yeah, still had practice. Wondering. Okay. They call it Pee Wee basketball a lot. So I'm assuming it's through the community center or something. Right, not, instead of like JV. Instead of like something. school. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah. Fourth grade is kind of young for a school team. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Okay. So they go to practice. Then they come home. Aisha's coach, Chad Wilson, said she had a really good practice. She was happy to be there and was totally her usual cheery self. The next day, Saturday to the 12th, both Aisha and O'Brien have games. The games are located at the local middle school, basketball games. Aisha's was first. She's the team's star point guard, and the, her team was good. Okay. They had never lost until this point. They were like mm. cleaning up. But this was the first game they did end up losing. Bummer. Yeah, and the kids didn't take it well. They never do. They're kids. Of course, they're nine-year-olds. Like accountability and accepting defeat is like not their strong suit. No. (laughs) Aquila said, quote, at the end of the game, they were all upset. I think this is actually really cute. Some of the players were faking like they were hurt. Like, oh, we lost because I was hurt. (laughs) Like limping around. And Aisha like got in on that and started doing it too. She's, and then back to the quote, she said, I said to Harold, look at your daughter faking an injury. (laughs) (laughs) I made her walk and she tried to limp. I told her to stop and to stop crying because somebody has to lose the game. That's a good point. Yeah. Quote, maybe I shouldn't have been as stern. Maybe I should have just let her cry, she said. Quote, she was so upset. She kept talking about the game Saturday night and Sunday. She kept saying that the referees cheated. (laughs) (laughs) This is such a kid thing to do. A lot of people will come back and point to this and be like, she was so upset that she left and never came back. Right. That is not abnormal to be like, they were wrong. They cheated. I I, yeah. I got hurt. My leg hurt. And that's why I did it bad. And they should let me do it again. Yeah. That tracks Aww. for me. I mean, it yeah. helps that I have a nine-year-old. So I, yes. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But they weren't calling the fouls. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, Aquila did say that she was pretty upset about the game and she like kind of didn't want to face her teammates. She's like, maybe I could have done something and I didn't. We mm-hmm. lost. But everyone also says that she does recover from this. Yeah. She's mad about it, but it's not ruining her life. Yeah. Uh, That's all normal kid business, in my opinion. Anyway. And you also made a good point about this, Leslie. You said uh, the year 2000 was, like, different from now. Now they don't keep, like, stats on kids or, like, uh, sometimes at their age, people don't even formally win. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it would, to me, it would matter Mm -hmm. if she was on, like, a... JV team, like maybe her school did like a fourth to sixth grade maybe team. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case they would have kept some stats on the players because mm-hmm. that's what we did. But if it was just like a rec league, I don't, I don't, know I don't that formally they would know, have, but especially just at that age, I, I don't know that they would have. But I do know that it felt more serious because I still remember my fourth grade basketball game. I was a chunky little kid. I just got my, I had to get a sports bra for the first time. Oh boy. 
I remember. What a time it to was be alive. Rough, but I remember how much it mattered. Okay. All right. So then this, <laughs> it could have been important. But again, yeah. that's in 2000, they did keep score. They did keep stats on younger players. Yeah. We don't do that now, but it, mm-hmm. it might have been like something that weighed a little more heavily. Yeah. Fine. Especially if she was known as the star point guard. Yeah. That's like big man on campus right there. Okay. Well, there you mm-hmm. have it. After the game on Saturday, Aisha packed her bags and went to a sleepover party at her cousin's house. Now, the attendees are all cousins, and there were like 12 girls there. That's a huge... Whoever hosted this is a saint. God. And the kids ranged from like Aisha's age and a little younger to like 15. So there's the cousins yeah. were all different ages. Mm-hmm. And they watched TV. They had snacks. They were super loud. They pretended to be dancers on Soul Train <laughs> and had a great, great time. Amazing. And they were up way late, as one would expect. But remember... They are church-going people, so it wasn't like they could sleep in too late the next day. They had to go to church. Right. Aisha's parents picked her up the next morning, and the whole family was at church by 11 a.m. So I'm assuming they picked her up rather early, brought her home, got ready, and then drove to church. Mm-hmm. They attended Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church in Waco, North Carolina, which is about a 15-minute drive from their house. After church, the family went to Aisha's aunt's house for lunch, where her grandmother gave all the kids Valentine's Day treats. Okay. Precious. Very cute. You know how grandmas are. She was like, here's a little bag for everyone. Mm-hmm. And they had like a little present and chocolates in it or like just candies. It. I know. I isn't that cute? Um, Aisha got perfume and some candy. And apparently her favorite candy was cinnamon discs. Oh. What kid likes that candy? She probably got every single one ever handed out. Yeah. Everyone was like, you like these. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like Violet likes Smarties. Yeah. Like terrible candy. So she gets all of them always. Anyway, it just, that just stuck out to me, and I thought it was pretty funny. It is really funny. After lunch at the aunt's house, the degrees all come home. Now, there is some debate online as to whether Harold had to work that night or not. There are no sources where this information comes right from his own mouth, so I can only give you both sides of the speculation here. Mm-hmm. One of two things happened. Either Harold came home from lunch and went to work later in the afternoon, because as I said, he worked second shift, or he came home from lunch and spent the rest of the day with his family. Mm-hmm. It's one of those two things. It's so wild that we don't know the exact uh, answer to that. I, this case is full of weird things like that. Yeah. Aisha was very tired because she had the sleepover the night before. Yeah. And so she went to her room at like six o'clock and ended up falling asleep on her bed. Right. That night, there was a particularly loud thunderstorm, though, and it woke her up at around 8 p.m. She's like kind of a fearful child. So mm-hmm. thunder was scary. And like my son gets scared of thunderstorms. So I that would happen. As soon as we hear thunder, Will and I are like, all right, when's he going to come in? Here we yeah. go. <laughs> so, and it's only eight o'clock. This is still early. So she walks out into the den to watch TV with her family. At this time, quote, Asia was reportedly wearing jeans and a purple and white t-shirt custom made for a family reunion that said, sun degrees hot in Atlanta. Nice. Because their <laughs> last name is Degree. Yeah. I love it. Get it. <laughs> so at 9 p.m. family reunion t-shirt. We do. Yeah. We'll have to think about it and have a reunion. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have we'll have a reunion for the podcast. Okay. <laughs> At 9 p.m., they're all sitting around watching television when a car in the community somewhere hits a like a power pole and mm-hmm. knocks out the power. Mm-hmm. Aisha um eventually ends up going back to bed. Now, this is also like a little hazy stretch of the night. Because in some reports of this case, Harold is not home at this point in time. He doesn't get home till like 1130 because he worked the second shift. And in others, He was home, but at 11.30 or so, he goes out to get last-minute Valentine's Day gifts or last-minute anniversary gift for his wife and then comes home and is home by around midnight. 
There is no confirmation he ever did that, ever. Somebody on one news report decided it happened, and then everyone agreed from that moment forward. But they didn't seem to get their information directly from him. So I don't know why exactly this is out there, but I'm just going to give you guys everything and on onward we go. Right, because we haven't really, we've never heard him say that, No, right? Mm -mm. Yeah. Nope. He says he's home with his family. Yeah. I don't know why we are desperate to not believe him, but Mm -hmm. that's the information. Either way, at some point in time in that stretch, Aisha goes to bed. I'm sure her mother puts her to bed. She's like, you got to go to sleep. Put on your pajamas, go to bed. And Harold falls asleep on the couch. At midnight-ish, the power pops back on, which would turn on like the television. Mm -hmm. He's on sleep on the couch, wakes him up. And he's like, oh, guess everybody went to bed and the power's back on. So Harold gets up, walks around, checks on the kids, sees that they're in their pajamas, in their bed, and then goes back into the den and watches TV for another couple hours. Again, Mm -hmm. this is a guy who is routinely home late at night and wakes up later. It's not weird to be up until 2.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's just part of his schedule. And I I did mention that Aisha was in her pajamas at this point in time, right? That's important. Yeah. Okay. She's wearing a white nightgown. In some reports, it says it has red trim, but always white. So Harold watches TV until 2.30 a.m. And then he's like, oh, I guess it's time for bed now. Turns off the TV, turns off the lights, checks all the doors and windows. Everything is locked up tight. Checks on his children one more time and then goes into bed where his wife is already sleeping. Lights out, doors locked, done for the night. Now, some people think it's weird that Harold checks on the kids one more time before he goes to bed, but I don't. I don't either. I don't know why people think that's weird. Anytime I walked by the kid's door, I always peeked in. Yeah. Yeah. And he fell asleep on the couch when the power was out. It was like a weird night. Yeah. I mean, I would check on everybody too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he peeks in one more time. That's pretty standard to me. So then the parents are in bed. They don't have any more to say until the next morning. However, O'Brien, her brother, who she shares a bedroom with, does report that around three o'clock in the morning, he hears his sister's bed springs moving around and he hears her feet on the floor. And this isn't weird to him because sometimes you have to pee in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. It happens. He just assumed she had to go to the bathroom. Um, There are other reports that say people saw her get up in the middle of the night. They did not. He only heard her. And then just, like, didn't really surface fully either. Like, you hear something familiar like that, mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, she's just going to the bathroom, and you fall right back to sleep. Yeah. So he didn't, like, look around. So, rest of the night passes. Harold and Aquila don't report hearing anything. And the house, as we can recall, is not big. It's the little area, and also they share a wall with neighbors. So I figure, like, you could probably explain away a lot of noise. Yes. Even yeah. if it were to have happened. But if there were a break-in... I think somebody would have woken up. It's just such a small space. You truly never know. I'm just putting that out there. Then at 5.45 a.m., Aquila wakes up and begins her day. She like, you know, gets ready, does her stuff, makes her coffee, whatever. At 6.30 a.m., she hears the kid's alarm go off. And so again, if you're standing in the kitchen, you can hear your kid's alarm go off. Not that far away. So then she lets a couple minutes pass, then goes to open their door to make sure they've woken up. She calls O'Brien's name first. She sees him move around under his cover. She's like, all right, come on, you got to get up. Then she calls Aisha's name and nothing. She notices the bed is flat and empty. She's not in it, which is weird. She then walks over to O'Brien's bed because sometimes during the middle of the night, she would like walk over and end up like sleeping next to him on the floor in his bed with him. They're close and they're close in age. That's not, it's not too weird, Mm. you know, Um, but she wasn't there. She's not anywhere in the room. So Aquila says to O'Brien, like, where's your sister? He says, I don't know, you know. So 
Aquila then walks through the entire house like you would, checking even like irrational spaces like closets and understuff and in a shoebox down the hall. You know, you check everything when you're looking mm-hmm. for something like that. But she finds nothing. She also discovers that the doors and windows are all still locked. Then she's, it sets in that something's going on. So she goes to her bedroom, wakes up Harold, puts on clothes, catches him up on the whole situation and um, goes outside to check in the cars and in the yard. She still finds nothing. Harold says, you know what? Maybe she walked to my mom's house or my sister or in-law's house. We should call them. They live right down the street. If anything happened, maybe she's there. Aquila calls. They're not there. And she instructs Harold to call the damn cops. And yeah. This whole thing happens in eight minutes. Mm-hmm. So by, or nine minutes, sorry. By 6.39, Harold has made his 911 calls. So they are not dragging their feet. We need to make that clear. And here is the, the transcript of the 911 call. The dispatcher says, 911. Harold says, yes, I'd like to report a child missing. Dispatcher, from where? Harold, from my house. Dispatcher, what is your address? Harold, uh, 3404 Oak Crest Drive. They don't live there anymore, you guys. Like, don't go to their house or anything. Stop it. Dispatcher, is this an apartment? Harold, yeah. Dispatcher, which apartment? Harold, uh, apartment 3406. This is 3404 and 3406. That's like mm-hmm. the addresses of the two places. Dispatcher. Okay, is she missing from 3404 or 3406? Harold. 3404, I mean. Dispatcher. There's not an apartment number. Harold. It's 34... Uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. And then there's reported crying in the background. Of course there is. Mm-hmm. Dispatcher. It's not like an A or B. Harold. No. Uh-uh. Dispatcher, what's your name? Harold, Harold Degree. Dispatcher, your phone number, Harold? Harold, he gives the phone number. The next door neighbor said she went down the road and said she just seen a kid down the road. Then they continue to hear crying in the background. What? Put that in your mind pocket. Mm -hmm. Dispatcher says, what's the child's name? Father, it says father in this. Harold says, Aisha Degree. Dispatcher, what's her full name? Harold, Aisha Jaquilla Degree. Dispatcher, can you spell that for me, please? And he does. Dispatcher, J-A what? Then there's more crying in the background. Dispatcher, J-A what? Harold, J-A-Q-U-I, I mean, yeah, J-A-Q-U-A-I-L-L-A. Dispatcher, degree? Harold, yeah, yeah. Dispatcher, how old is she? Harold, uh, nine. Dispatcher, white or black? Harold, black. Dispatcher, when did you last see her, Harold? Harold. Last time I went to bed, she was in the bed. We got up this morning, called her to get up to school, and she wasn't in there. And her book bag's missing and her pocketbook. Crying continues in the background. Dispatcher. So you don't know if she got dressed or if she's still in her bed clothes or what? Uh, Harold. We don't know. Dispatcher. Was the door open or anything? Harold. No. Uh, her brother sleeps in there with her. And when he, uh, when he was in there, he didn't hear when she got up. Dispatcher. Okay. Dispatcher, all right, Harold, I will get an officer to get in touch with you just as soon as possible. If you do happen to locate her, please call us back and let us know, okay? Harold, okay. Dispatcher, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, couple things about this. One, we never hear about the neighbor seeing a kid down the street ever again. Right, we don't hear about it, Mm -mm. but the police might have. They might have, we don't know. Okay. Because there is a lot of information on this case that they may be purposefully keeping from us. Mm A fact that in a Facebook Live, O'Brien confirmed just two years ago. Okay. He said, like, you guys, it seems gappy because there's a lot of things we can't mm-hmm. tell you, obviously. And O'Brien, he was like 30, 31, Yes, yeah, a couple years ago. Yeah. So he, yeah, was a year older than Nation. Mm-hmm. 
So Harold may have been confused with this neighbor thing, or maybe it's important and we just don't know. There's two options. There are no reports of a kid down the road crying in the street, though. Now, remember, this is a neighborhood. It's kind of, it's a rural neighborhood, but it's a neighborhood. And if there's a child loudly crying in the street, somebody probably noticed. Now, to describe the situation a little further, Aquila searched Aisha's room and discovered that her book bag and Tweety Bird purse were missing as well. So it is assumed that Aisha brought these things with her, as well as a pair of pants and sneakers, which she would have put on. So she was had pants under her nightgown and sneakers, but no coat. Her coat was still in the house. And it is a rainy February night. Yeah. Now, while their climate might not be as cold and harsh as like ours, it still was below 50 degrees. It was not warm. You want your coat. That is not comfortable. That's so strange. Very strange. It is also hotly contested on the internet as to whether her bag was packed that night or Aisha just took the bag that she had packed from the sleepover along with her. Mm -hmm. Because remember... There's a chance that, I mean, like, when you have a sleepover, sometimes your kid doesn't unpack that bag for months. Oh, yeah. It just sits behind the door or something, mm-hmm. and you find it like, oh, there are those pants. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't, wouldn't be weird for her bag to still be full of clothes and to just grab the one she had. Right. We just don't know. It does, however, kind of make a, dist- a difference to me, because if one is running to something, one might have time to pack. But if you're running from something, it's not necessarily the case. You right. might just grab what you can and go. We don't know why she left. Yeah. Also, there's the question of how are the doors both still locked? Well, Aisha had a key. Mm -hmm. And she would have locked the door behind her. She would have been trained to do that. She would have known that when you leave the house, you lock the door. And both of the doors were locked. So there's really no way to tell how she even exited. Right. We don't know which direction she went in. Okay. Police respond super quick, too. The first officers arrive at the Degrees house about six minutes after that phone call. That's good. It's a good response time. And then a few minutes after that, the sheriff is on the scene and he's calling for a backup in a canine unit to come out. So they're taking it serious quickly. Wouldn't have been the case if she was just, say, 13. Yeah. That's the difference between 9 and 12. There's that runaway thing where they don't assume she just left and is starting a life on her own. Yeah. So reporters follow very shortly after that, too. This was on the news fast. According to Aquila, quote, By seven o'clock, we had every cop in the county here. Every news reporter had shown up. Five or six local news channels were here, local newspapers. By the time seven o'clock came, I was plastered all over the television. That Mm. is fast. Yeah, for sure. So I go back to like, it's strange to compare this case to Gabby Petito. Yeah. In my opinion, just because there wasn't TikTok then. You couldn't go, there wasn't pervasive social Mm -hmm. media where you could go and have like, you know, 7,000 people immediately working on a case who are like armchair detectives. That just wasn't a thing. Now, am I discounting that maybe it didn't get the same amount of publicity because Aisha's a black girl? Absolutely not. I'm sure it didn't. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that, you know, whoever hasn't heard of it, that's part of why they haven't. But there was press. So it's important to say that. And not just a little. Okay, so by 8 a.m., volunteer searchers from local fire departments and rescue squads are already spread out searching in a three-mile radius on foot. By 8.30, the canine units, the sheriff office called in are there. Shelby Rescue is there. Upper Cleveland County Rescue, um, Boiling Springs Rescue and Canine Division, KSAR Rescue, Falston, Oak Grove, and Waco Police Departments all arrived to assist in this search. They called in the cavalry. Wow. Yeah. 
And they all are extending over this three-mile radius, thinking like, well, she couldn't have gotten that far if she left at like 3 a.m. and it's like 8 o'clock in the morning and she's a kid. Mm-hmm. By noon, the highway patrol helicopter from Salisbury arrives and then the helicopter starts searching the area. And reports of the search are everywhere at this point. They're all over local news broadcasts. Unfortunately, they reach a truck driver named Jeff Rupp. Mm. Jeff was on his lunch break, okay. listening to the news and eating a little sandwich, nice. living his life. And when he hears this report of a missing young girl leaving her home in a nightgown, he remembers a strange encounter he had mm. earlier that morning. Interesting. Very. Jeff worked for Sundrop Bottling Company as a driver, the cutest name for any mm-hmm. bottling company. And while he was out on his route that morning at approximately 3.45 to 4 a.m., he, quote, seen a little girl walking down the road with her book bag. She had on a little dress and white tennis shoes and her hair was in pigtails. That is pretty much the exact description of Asia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, who was not in the habit of encountering Victorian child ghosts, mm-hmm. that's what that sounds like to if me. I know. Exactly. Right? I'd be like, ah, ghost! <laughs> <laughs> he thought this was strange and it is strange. You don't see that or at least you shouldn't every day. Right. It was raining and cold. So Jeff does the monumental effort of turning his 10-wheeler around. I don't think that's super easy to do either, like just on a road on a dime. So he turns around and approaches the girl from the other side. And he rolls down his window and says like, hey, what's going on? Yells to her. She just totally ignores him, does not respond. Quote, he says, I went back, but she never did look up at me. She looked like she knew where she was going. She was walking at a pretty good pace. He's going to trust her? Yeah. Okay. But this still doesn't sit right with him. Okay, so he circles back around a third time. And this time she sees him again and is creeped out by him and like runs away into the woods. Yeah. I say creeped out, that is speculation. Maybe she was afraid of being caught. I have no idea. But she sees this guy who's come back around a third time to try and talk to her and she runs away from him. Mm -hmm. This is also lending credence to the fact that she wants to be going wherever she's going, not that she's like looking for help. Mm -hmm. Because help just found her. Although... I might be creeped out by a guy yelling at me from a truck. How much I know. That's what I was thinking too, but I don't know. But he's a grown-up and she's a kid. I don't know. So anyway, um, after all of this, you would think, well, he probably called the cops, right? No, he didn't. He did not call the cops at all. Didn't. (sighs) Didn't think better do that. So close, Jeff. You did so close to a good job. (laughs) You you almost nailed it. Not quite. Seeing that isn't normal, call the damn cops right away, Jeff, or park your car in the shoulder of the road and run after her. Don't just go, well, well, did my best and keep going. Right. But he did. Then by 2 p.m., so they get this call from Jeff, uh, noonish. By 2 p.m., the North Carolina State uh, Bureau of Investigation, so the local FBI arrive. They tape off the house, interview family members. Now it's a crime scene. Law enforcement also interviews clerks at, like, convenience stores along Highway 18, which is where they said they saw Aisha walking. And they interview Aisha's friends and the staff at her elementary school. They do this continuously over the next two days. Mm -hmm. At approximately 5 p.m., another truck driver is sitting down for a snack. Okay. Yeah. And she's also hearing the news or watching the news, depending on which report you listen to. When he sees Aisha's story... And he thinks, huh, that's awful funny. I remember something similar as well. This guy's name is Roy Blanton Sr. And his experience is remarkably similar to Jeff Rupp's. He um, came very close to doing a good job as well, but also failed. 
Roy calls the police after hearing the news and tells them that he and his son, Roy Blanton Jr., were traveling north on Route 18 at around 4 to 4.30 a.m., just a little bit after Jeff. And they are at around the intersection of Route 18 and Route 180. This is also approximately where Jeff sees Asia. Mm-hmm. And they see, quote, a small figure wearing light-colored clothing. I thought it was a woman. I couldn't tell if it was a child. I thought maybe it was a domestic violence thing where a woman left the house and was out walking. So it was clear to them that she's in like night clothes and mm-hmm. that she's left her home. So Roy gets on his CB radio. Oh, thank God, right? He's yeah. going to save the day. And he tells other truckers to keep their eye out because they don't want this person to get hit. That's it. That is it. Roy also does not pull over and he also does not call the damn cops. Even if it is a fully grown woman in her nightgown walking down the side of the highway and you think she's leaving a man who was beating her up, you should probably call the cops. I know none of that is okay. And also like, what the fuck is with all these other truckers? They heard it over the CB and they, were, they weren't like, hey, uh, we should call the cops. They were like, okay, thank you. 10-4, good buddy. Uh, come on, guys. We got to do better. I'm so frustrated at this part. I know. I don't like it at all either. But to the cops, the fact that there are two sightings that sound almost identical and they're unrelated and these guys don't know each other, nor have they spoken to each other, that means this happened. Yeah. They're like, all right, it's more than one person. This is not a trick of the eyes or a mistake. She was walking down that road. Mm -hmm. And that's fair. I I agree. One person is a fluke, two. Right. There we go. Did the other, um, the first driver, did he alert on the CB radio or no? Uh, No. He just kept living his life. That one's weird to me that he didn't alert anybody when he was so concerned. I know. Turning around three times. Because it would be the same. I would think also it'd be the same radio channels. They're in the same area. I know. Why didn't they hear each other? Why didn't he hear Roy and go like, oh shit, I saw her too. Right. I have no idea. By nine o'clock that evening, the sheriff, um, you know, takes like a press conference or whatever and says to the media, tells everybody, we have had two sightings of her on Highway 18 at 3.45 and 4.15 a.m. Now the public all knows that that's where she was walking. Okay, cool. That information is out there. By the end of the day, the searchers have covered their three-mile-wide radius pretty thoroughly and found absolutely nothing. They found a mitten. It wasn't her mitten. That's all. Police interview the family again, and the search is paused for the evening because it's dark. That happens. It happened in Delphi. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. But that night it got cold. Yeah. Which was worrisome. She's a little girl with no coat outside. We know that much. But the breadcrumb trail strangely continues. So now we're on the 15th. It's the next day. That morning, police do a very clever thing and they run a driver checkpoint on Highway 18 near the place where both Jeff and Roy say they saw this girl walking along, right? And they said the intersection between 18 and 180. Because the police think, well, okay, commuters are on the same route every single day. Mm -hmm. So it stands to reason it's going to be the same people. So they're stopping all the cars and saying, did you see this girl? Did you see this girl? None of them had seen anything. Which is weird that only two truck drivers saw her and no bystanders. But I think maybe truckers are up higher. So they might have had like a better perspective. And it's dark and there's not lights. So if you're just driving along the side of the road and you're not looking, and she's little, You may not have seen her. She's like four foot six inches tall. She's not tall. Hmm. So, anywho, they don't hear anything else from other drivers. Detectives and agents from the local FBI and the national FBI are involved in the investigation. They go to Aisha's house. They take hair samples. They find her dental records. They preserve DNA. 
all of this is good because should anyone come forward or should they find anything they, they think is Asia, we, we can triangulate it and, okay. you yeah. know, confirm. Family members are very compliant. Nobody's like, don't do this. So like nobody's raising any red flags there. Teams of volunteers uh, and family members continue the search. Um, search and rescue professionals come out on horseback and with dogs to track even further. At this point, the police say we're going to widen our search to like 20 miles because what if she got in a car? So And they do as much. Then other weird things happen. First, a local upholsterer named Debbie Turner and her mother, Raleigh, are approached by searchers on horseback. <laughs> yeah. They just like trot up. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Howdy, ma'am. Exactly. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> And they ask, like, okay, have you seen anything? You have outbuildings on your property. Have you checked in there? You know there's a missing child about. Could Mm -hmm. she be sleeping in one of your outbuildings? And they're like, I never thought of that. (sighs) Okay. Now, this is not uncommon. Yeah, I wouldn't. Not necessarily, but there was a call put out in the community, and they're like a mile away from Aisha's house. And they're like, hey, check. Just like the cops did when Megan Kenko went missing. They Mm -hmm. said she could be hiding anywhere. So if you, like, look in your backyard, look in your shed, look in your basement. Anywhere a kid could get in and hide, look. Look where you keep small children in your basement. Wherever you hide a small child, like, look there. (laughs) But Debbie Turner was like, I did not think that could possibly be me. Right. (laughs) So, but then she goes, all right, I'll go look. Yeah. So she goes out to an old barn in her backyard, which she keeps discarded furniture and an old tractor in it. Now, Debbie reuses a lot of old like fabric scraps and pieces of wood and springs and stuff or whatever on projects because she is a Mm reupholsterer. So it makes sense that she's like kind of hoarding furniture in these sheds in the backyard. Not, Not super weird. Even if it looks rough, she still can use like a piece of it or something. And when she gets into this barn, she finds a yellow plastic hair bow, a white Atlanta Olympics pencil, a green marker, a bunch of candy wrappers, and a wallet-sized photo of a young girl. Before you get excited, the photo is not Asia. It's way more frustrating than that. Debbie takes all of this stuff and goes, huh, puts it somewhere safe. Does she call the cops? No. Where did the horseback riders go? See you later, (laughs) ma'am. They just told her to look. They didn't stick around for the results. I can't. Okay. (sighs) We're laughing and frustration, not because any of it's funny. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you why they don't think this is probably important. She goes, this is probably trash, but maybe not trash. So she does save it. She just doesn't give it away immediately. Yeah, she clearly thinks it's important. I know. (laughs) It's so weird. Um, But to be very clear, I don't really find Debbie suspicious. I don't. I just think that she's kind of a weird gal who made some weird choices, which is not a crime. She's really good at furniture reupholstery, though. I mean, I saw lots of photos of it on her Facebook page. Yeah. Does she have an Insta? I don't know. I only looked at Facebook. Okay. And the, the photos are Facebook-only quality. Right. So. We'll tag her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then around 4 o'clock the same day, a spotter plane from the Bureau of Investigations with infrared equipment and heat sensors is sent out, and that does a big lap. That doesn't find anything either. The search continues and then comes to a close at nighttime yet again. Now we're on the 16th of February. Aisha's parents have finished combing through her stuff like hardcore. Like they Mm -hmm. look through all of her things. And they say that what they found is missing is her favorite jeans. So a pair of jeans with a red stripe down the side, a pair of Tweety Bird overalls, um, black shoes, and a black and white striped shirt. So in one way or another, a bag is packed for time away from home. I think I had a Tweety Bird overall. Cute. 
That or a jacket, but that was big. It was. That's <laughs> true. Looney Tunes was a thing back then. Some people also say she packed her basketball uniform. That is not confirmed anywhere. Okay. Then the next day, the Turners are like, we should probably give this picture to the police. So they give the photo of the girl they found in their sheds to the cops. The cops take it over to Aisha's family. They're like, is this her? The Turners said that. They're like, well, maybe it's her. And Aisha's family's like, well, clearly that's not Aisha. And we have no idea who she is. Mm-hmm. And neither did any of her family members. Nobody knows who this girl is. And the really frustrating part about this picture is that it was put in all of the newspapers and um, like on the television and everywhere. No one to date. And this photo is everywhere online. It's so ubiquitous, really easy to get a hold of. No one ever has identified this girl. No one knows who she is. It is a school photo. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Which is very suspicious that nobody has identified her. It is super suspicious. She was clearly well taken care of. Her hair was done. She was in nice clothes. She was in like a, a picture with a background. It's not a candid. Mm-hmm. No one knows who she is. And because they don't know who the girl is, the Turners say, well, the rest of this trash probably isn't important. And they leave it in a bag on the porch, but they don't throw it away. Maybe it is. I can't. I, can't. I don't know. Ooh. And then after a little while, they think, maybe it you is important. What? Yep. So they give. Maybe I'll give them some trash. Yes. So they go, does this, is this going to help you at all? You think it's some garbage I found in the shed, but I kept it because I don't know if it's garbage. And the cops are like, yeah, it does. And what they found, the trash that they found in the shed, like the ribbon, the marker, the pencil, Aisha's family are like, yes, that hair bow is hers. The Olympics pencil is hers. I don't know who owns that green marker. Get that out of here. And those candy wrappers are wrappers from candy she got at school. So she would have been in possession. Like that is such a little kid thing to do. If you run away, you bring food and the food you bring is a handful of candy. Right. Or, or that was just the candy she got from like her grandma. Yeah. I don't know if she had her backpack on her. Yeah. Again, like, from school. That's like what they Valentine's said that she had gotten Day. it at school. Yeah. Or from like, it's unclear where she got this candy. She did get candy from a grandma. I'm not sure if it's those wrappers. Yeah. They said she also got candy either at school or from like her, um, like a mom at, a, at the basketball yeah. game. Yeah. Because they get like stuff after basketball too. Yeah. And they would have, well, they didn't have school on Friday. So I wonder when they would have done like their Valentine's Day. Like, uh, they went, they were, they had school on Valentine's Day. That was that Monday. So it oh, would have been then. So, she, oh, that's so right. she didn't have like so all the class Valentine's yet. Oh. I know. It was really sad. I hate it a lot. So the cops are then in possession of all of these like little trash items, right? They then have the trucker guys come out and show them, like, point to the place where they last saw her. So they take her on Highway 18 in the intersection of Highway 180. They say it was in this direction. They point to a field. Across the field is the Turner's shed. So if she was running into the distance, she could have been running towards their shed. Mm-hmm. In the field, they also find candy wrappers. Mm-hmm. The same candy wrappers. Okay. So she's hungry. Yeah. Poor baby. She needs that energy. She needs a little sugar. I hear. I hear you. It's really sad. And people also contest that she would have gone to this shed, but I think she would have. Now, it does have a long driveway. She would have had to have crossed the highway, gone like down a little gully. You know how sometimes like to go from the road, there's like a dip in the land there and then walked across this field into the shed. The shed was not locked, so she could have gotten into it. Mm -hmm. It's like an open thing. And um, there is a light on it. It has like a porch light type thing. So she could have seen that and been like, oh, that's, that's possibly somewhere I can hide out. 
I think that sounds realistic. Some people don't. I think it does. I don't know yeah. what you think. No, I th- I think that does. I think you're... Yeah. If you're looking for a place to hide? Yeah, for sure. It also should be noted at this point in time that she was traveling away from her school. Why does that make a difference? Well, a lot of people say she was probably going, walking where she knew. Because if you are a kid, you by rote go places you know. But she wasn't. She was walking away from her school, which is an area she would not have traveled by foot, like, ever. Mm-hmm. So she went into the unknown. So anyway, um, investigators are now passing out flyers. They put out national bulletins. They continue this 25-mile ground search, but they are not finding anything else. Oof. I know. They find, like, they, they find exactly what kind of sneakers she would have had on that night, create a footprint, and they put that out in the news, too. They're like, if you see these sneaker prints, please notify us. That turns up nothing. It's just nothing. Then we get to the 17th. And again, this information sometimes melds into days mm-hmm. because it really, there's not a whole lot of relevance as to when it happened, but it did happen. There is a report that says the candy wrappers outside was found on the 17th. There's one that says the 16th, one that says the 17th. It, again, it doesn't really matter. That's where everything goes cold. And then everything goes quiet for a year and a half. Oof. Just nothing. Until mm-hmm, August 2nd, 2001. So a man named Terry Fleming was cutting a new road through the woods beside a highway. And this is like 25 miles away in a different town. And he uncovers something weird and he avoids it for a while. Finally, this thing is like in his way and he's like, ah, shit, I got to look at it, I guess. And it is wrapped in two garbage bags, plastic trash bags. He unwraps it. It is a book bag. The book bag has a name and phone number written on the inside of it. And he... He goes, I don't really want anything to do with this. You know, this guy is kind of thinking it looks a little bit sinister and uncomfortable. And he was like, Fuck, I guess I have to call somebody about it. Mm-hmm. But he had no service. So he wrote down what was written inside the bag on a piece of paper and took it with him. He didn't take the bag with him because like, Evidence. you don't want to be in possession of that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so then he puts that note aside and goes about his life and forgets about it. And the next morning... Forget about it? Well, don't worry. The next morning, he's talking to his wife and he's like, oh, yeah, I found this thing. And here's a phone number from the book bag and a name that was on it. It's so weird. And his wife is like, that is that missing girl. What? She recognizes the name right away because she's seen it in the news for like ever. And she's like, you, you have to call the police. (laughs) Holy shit. So he does. 10 o'clock that next morning, he calls and says, look, I found this thing. It had her phone number in it. um, And they were in... Uh, Burke County, that's the law enforcement that was up there where he was working. And they come and they get it. They find, They go to the grading site where he's digging this new road. They get the bag. They don't find anything else except for a men's pair of khakis. Ew. I know. I hate that so much, but they don't think it's related. It's just like, was it in the bag or just digging No, around? in the woods, just like okay. where they were digging around. So really, it could just be like waylaid garbage. We don't know. Yeah, I know. It's been like a year and a half. Exactly. So there really isn't, I mean, okay. I, I'm, I'm sure I at that point it, they tested okay. it. No, it wasn't always, in the bag. Yeah, I always thought it was like in the backpack. Oh, no, that's so much grosser. No, no, no. no. They were just also, and the the bag was buried. Remember, a backhoe right. dug it up. So they were just in the rubble. Okay. I don't know. Anybody's throwing out their old pants. Ugh. I don't know. 
Maybe someone pooped their pants. Maybe they did poop their their pants. (laughs) They just had to throw it out their window real quick. Yeah. And they send all of the evidence away to a forensic lab in Quantico. So they're no joke about this one. So then on Monday, August 13th, police confirm that this is Aisha's backpack. It has all her clothes in it that the parents reported missing. It has the Tweety Bird purse in it, has her shoes. It has all of her stuff. But it also has some stuff that isn't hers in it. Hmm. Yeah. And they don't report that just yet. And they also say that they don't, the clothing that she was wearing when she went missing, so like the nightgown, the sneakers, and the pants, they're not in the bag. Okay. So then FBI says, okay, well, we're reopening this shit up, obviously. So they get this evidence. Then that's it. They just, they have it. They don't know what to do with it, really. It doesn't take them any further. They have the book bag. They have that it's 26 miles away in Burke County. That's all we know. How did she get there? Who took her there? Why was she there? Did they just have her book bag? Did they have Asia? Did they not? We don't know. But it was wrapped in two garbage bags, which to me says, I don't want anyone to find this. Mm -hmm. Case goes cold for like 14 years. Now it is February 9th. 2015, we jump ahead another big gap because they have nowhere to go with this for a really long time. The FBI announces that FBI agents in Cleveland County Sheriff's Office and investigators and the state FBI and stuff are re-interviewing witnesses. So something happened, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, they're they're busy again. Along with this, the FBI also offers up a $25,000 reward in exchange for any information that leads to an arrest in Asia's case. Okay. And they do an age-progressed photograph. This all leads us to believe, like, there's a reason they're searching again now, right? Yeah. Okay. So, officers announced that they have received information that someone matching Aisha's description may have been seen getting into a distinctive vehicle along Highway 18 where she was last seen on the night she disappeared. I don't know why it took this long for this information to come out or be collected. I don't know whether they had it all along and they're just revealing it now, which is something they do. Or whether they just found it out. Now, the vehicle is described as an early 70s Lincoln Mark IV or a Ford Thunderbird. And that it is dark green with rust around the wheel wells. That is a car that stands out. Yeah, for sure. In 1990, that's not, you don't see a bunch of those on the road. Yeah. Or 1990, sorry, in 2000. Even less likely. In Mm -hmm. 2000, you're not seeing like a 70s Lincoln cruising around. Yeah. That's different. They say the quote, the vehicle right now is considered a vehicle of interest, and it was occupied two times on the day of her disappearance. Cleveland County Sheriff Alan Norman said, quote, it had been discovered by legwork with um, the sheriff's office investigators along with the FBI. Hmm. So we don't know where this, again, this is just dropping this information into consciousness. That's all. This new detail is due to a new witness, apparently, who recently came forward. FBI spokeswoman Shelley Lynch said, quote, they believe they may have seen someone matching Aisha's description get into this vehicle on the morning she was last seen walking along. Okay. The eyewitness we've done many interviews with, we've done our own investigation steps with that information. And that's all the further it went. That's so interesting. I wonder if this is the person, like the neighbor that saw. Maybe. I don't know. Because this was on the road. This this was was somebody on the road. road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because there's such little information, I'm like, well, why are we, why is it now that we're hearing about it? But uh, that car seems so relevant to me. It seems like something that if you knew about that, it had to be new. And why did this woman like think about it so many years later? No one can really tell you. So then we jump forward a little bit more to May 15th, 2016. 
The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office then released a Facebook video, because now we're in the age of social media, describing Aisha's case and asking, quote, everybody in the community for help with new possible clues on the case. And this is when they come out with the stuff in Aisha's book bag that didn't belong to her. Okay. That's when they decide to reveal it. They knew this all along. They just hadn't revealed it. Mm -hmm. So they say that the first thing that's in her book bag is a library book called McGillicott's Cool by Dr. Seuss. And they say it is checked out from her school's library. And if you know anybody who checked it out, let us know. Perhaps the child who checked it out was with Aisha. We don't know. Okay. But I'm like, why don't you know who checked it out? It's a library. Yeah, why is They it- have to use a name. Wouldn't the name be on the card? They said the library didn't hold records that long. A but year and a half? <laughs> but wouldn't it have been on the card? I think the- maybe we're a little bit beyond Dewey Decimal cards. Hmm. I don't know. Not in 2000. They said there there was no library records of it. I mean, kids also do take books without properly signing them out. Right. And my kids also, at the end of the year, if there's like library books in circulation that are like damaged or they don't get checked out anymore, or they were replacing them, they let the kids have them. My kids have library books that they just like got sure. from the school that they yeah, got to keep. Yeah, so I, I really don't know. But my thought was like, you should be able to trace a school library book. Mm-hmm. And maybe they can. We don't know. We right, just don't know. Right. They say, okay. if you know anybody who checked out McGillicott's pool on or around this time of Aisha's disappearance and lost track of it, call us. Okay. That's what it says. Library records do not go back to the year 2000. Okay. That's all we have. The second item of interest is a t-shirt and it's a New Kids on the Block concert shirt. It is cool as hell. I would have worn the shit out of that shirt. <laughs> Uh, and I love how in this quote, they're like, they are a boy bands that first became popular in the early 1980s and they are still performing today. If you had a t-shirt like this or uh, know someone who did, please call us. They are a boy band. <laughs> Thank you, police. Thank you so much. <laughs> I did not know. This is like cool NKOTB tour shirt because it's like a concert touring shirt. Right. It's not hers. Her parents like, she okay. didn't own that. It was in her book bag. Now, a lot of people have made a very valid point that when you go to a sleepover, a lot of times stuff that isn't yours ends up in your bag. Yeah. Yep. So if if she indeed, indeed took the same bag that she took to the sleepover, she could have ended up with stuff that didn't belong to her in her bag. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would, and I also was going to say maybe somebody also like lent it to her, but yep. then like, I think one of the cousins would have. They would have been like, that. oh, that's my shirt. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, we, we have no... Trace on this shirt. We have no idea where this shirt came from. Yeah, we don't know, but the police. The police could might. know. Again, yeah. yeah, they are asking that people to come forward. That truly doesn't mean yeah. that they don't know anything, though. I know, it's so frustrating. I know, it's it's pretty absurd. Then um, we have one more little weird clue before we get into just kind of talking about what we think might have happened. In November of 2020, an inmate um, at a local prison named Marcus Mellon, who was convicted of sex crimes against children in 2014, wrote a letter to the Shelby Star claiming that Aisha was murdered and he knew where to find her. Now, this is one report. Okay. Murdered is a strong word because what he actually said to the police was, some guy hit her along the road and killed her accidentally, like didn't see her and hit her with his car. Mm. He found me or he knew him. I don't know how they were related. And he said, I will pay you to dispose of this body because I don't want to get arrested for hitting this girl and killing her. I don't want to get into it. I just want it to go away. I don't know why she was running away. I don't know who she belonged to. The whole thing is shady. Make it stop. Mm. And this Marcus Mellon guy said, okay, 
and then hid the body. Okay. He didn't do the killing. He only did the burying. And this is what he told cops, okay? But um, cops went to the place where he said he buried her. She was not there, obviously. And uh, as it turns out, he also was strongly angling to get transferred to the jail in Cleveland County so he could, like, help the cops. But really, this gentleman had set up a plan with fellow inmates there wherein they could escape. Because I guess that jail was easier to get away from than his other jail. Quite the plan. Yeah. And he also thought, like, uh, maybe if I give them information, my sentence will get reduced. Right. That happens. Okay. That okay. happens. But, like, none of his information checked out. This was most certainly a lie. It did alert police to, like, thinking, well, you know, maybe it was a hit and run. And they did reveal that, like, we did think of that. We did think of that back when she disappeared, that she could have run away. She was on a major highway. She could have gotten hit. And it was storming. It was, yeah. So the cops looked everywhere for evidence of that. Because if you hit somebody on the road, there is evidence of it. Right. And there's either blood evidence or your or pieces and of the car. And they were on that road. Yeah. Like, they were there. Yeah, they were, exactly. I mean, but also... Yeah, it was a stormy night, so I don't know if rain could have washed something away. I don't know what well, that could have been like. Yeah, that's also a confusing thing because, like, tracking dogs, water doesn't affect it like right. as much. You can still track scent, okay, with water, but it was really windy too. Okay. So the combination of the two could have blown stuff around because we do know that scent dogs never picked up Asia's scent. Yeah, they also didn't pick it up around her house like in the outside of her home. They don't pick it up anywhere. Mm -hmm. And this leads some people to believe that she got in a car quickly. Okay. But that is also something that I don't think happened because she's seen on the road. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty much all of the information <laughs> we have. Say it. I know, I really, I hate it. There's no ending. I mean, that, the jail guy is not, he's like, I'm so helpful. But no, he wasn't helpful at all. So this is where we get into the the speculation portion of our show. And let me just say, this is us having a conversation about possibilities. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of conversations about possibilities when it comes to this case online. You can read a whole hell of a lot more of them if you are Reddit savvy or web sleuth savvy or just plain old internet savvy. They exist everywhere. However, unlike the Alonzo Brooks case, these do not come from people in Asia's community who knew the family and have a basis for their information. It is just more people trying really hard to connect dots and be helpful. Mm -hmm. So there are several things that could have happened. One, we know she definitely left the house on her own accord. She definitely got up, got her stuff, and left. That is undeniable. And she walked down the road. But speculation comes in in the form of like, was she running from something or was she running to something? Mm -hmm. Why did she leave? Some people also think that because nine is still prime time for magical thinking, she was simply going on an adventure. She thought this was going to be like a cool adventure. And people are fortified in this theory because her class at the time of her disappearance was reading a book called The Whipping Boy, mm. which sounds awful, but it's kind of cute. I had never heard of it. Why don't you tell us about it? It's not cute. I know nothing. I had you do it. <laughs> This is not a cute book at all. Okay. Um, it's terrifying. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. Okay. So I grabbed this from Wiki. I'm going to take you guys on this journey. Please. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So The Whipping Boy is a Newbery Medal winning children's book by Sid, and I believe it's pronounced Fleshman. I think it's Fleshman. How's it spelled? I'm not. It's okay. It's, it's Fleshman. I like I like that you're saying Fleshman. Fleshman. <laughs> because it's gross to say Fleshman. I thought it was like 
I thought it was Fleshman or yeah, yeah. but he's it's like German probably. So like Sid Fleshman. I love how you're saying it. That's why I want to see it. (laughs) But anyway, so it was first published in 1986. Okay. Relatively Mm -hmm. recent. I guess. Right at the time. Yeah. All right. So Prince Horace, also known as Prince Brat, frequently misbehaves (laughs) on the nose. (laughs) Yeah, right? Since he is a prince, no one may raise a hand against him. Therefore, his family provides him with a whipping boy. Gross. Whose name is Jimmy. An orphan boy who will be punished instead of the prince. Ew. Though he has learned to read, write, and do mathematics while living in the castle, Jemmy is beaten several times a day and, and longs for the freedom he had on the streets. This is awful! Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not cute at all! When the prince decides to run away on a whim, he demands that Jemmy act as a servant during his journey. While on the run, the boys are picked up by two notorious highwaymen. Hold your nose, Billy and Cutwater, who hatch a scheme to ransom the prince and probably also molest them if this was a darker story. Yeah, yeah. Jemmy talks them into believing that he is the prince and sets into motion a plan of escape. The prince misunderstands Jemmy's intentions and betrays him because he's like a dumbass brat. Oh, good. Nonetheless, the boys escape. Uh, They come across a girl named Betsy searching for her lost dancing bear, Petunia. That's cute. Mm -hmm. And she directs them to the river where they find a kind man with a wagon full of potatoes. Good. Mm -hmm. The boys help the man, whose name is Captain Nips, get his wagon out from the mud. (laughs) Call me Captain Nips. Yeah. (laughs) And in return, the potato man gives the boys, the girl, and the bear a lift to the fair. But they are soon intercepted by the highwaymen. So they get kidnapped again. Great. By these molesters. (laughs) Still believing Jemmy is the prince and believing it to be the crime worse than murder to beat the prince, they beat Horace instead. Isn't this like awful? Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the sorcerer's apprentice, but a nightmare. Yes. Great. So Petunia, the bear... Scares the highwaymen (laughs) and everyone arrives at the fair. Just like, and then the highwaymen. (laughs) But this is after, like, the prince is now, like, horribly beaten, probably, like, ass raped. And oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Betsy earns a few coins with her bear. (laughs) Captain Nips boils the potatoes and sells them. And Horace and Jimmy head down to the sewer to catch some rats. None of this sounds fun to me. some rats with Captain Nips. <laughs> yeah. Always cold with Captain Nips. On their way, they hear some people talking about the missing prince. One woman makes a remark about how much worse things will be when the prince becomes king because he's such a brat. Ugh. And uh, the ho- Horace's feelings are hurt deeply about this, but he does not show his emotions when the boys learn that the king has posted a reward for the whipping boy who has been accused of kidnapping the prince. Mm. They go into the sewers where they see the highwaymen again. They trick the highwaymen into the most dangerous sewer where rats attack them because they became friends with the rats. Of course. Um, afterwards, the prince decides that he wants to finally go home. You know, it's been a rough I'm time. I'm done. I got to go home. He got beat. Uh, these highwaymen did a number did a on number. me. Captain Nips was unexpected. I am sick of potatoes. Too many. Yeah. Petunia, she was good. She was good. She was great. <laughs> I like that. Oh, love Petunia. Yeah. She hustled hard. She still made a couple of dollars. So when they return to Captain Nips, Horace reveals himself as the prince. Guess what, guys? It's me. Captain Nips. (laughs) You can't even read. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, royalty, not necessary. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, and so, and he suggests that the potato man collect the reward for capturing the whipping boy. So that he must like need the money for something in the story. All he has is, is potatoes. Yeah, he just has potatoes. Kind of reminds me of like an Elsa. I think the, maybe he needs a bra. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. He's all nips. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go back to the castle and Prince Brat is like, don't worry, Papa. Jemmy, Jemmy actually acted like me. It was my idea. And he took on being the prince for me. And then guess what? I got ass raped. Because <laughs> they thought he was the prince. Yes, this And I might, was the whipping boy. This might be a very German story. <laughs> Charming. Yeah. Great story for children. Don't worry, Papa. Love it. Jemmy took great care no, of please me. Please don't worry. Um, so none of this story. I don't, I, I do understand there are other books. There are plenty of other things she could have been reading. That People suggest have. that specifically because this is two children that ran away and went on an adventure. Yeah. She took her cues from this story and ran away thinking she was going to go on an adventure but or this find some a new things. terrifying adventure. Yeah, it's not a good adventure. I have read other books that are much better adventures. Like little scary things might happen along yeah. the way. Like, but Alice in Wonderland... I never want to go down a hole. Yeah, in the no, ground. me neither. That that is like a cautionary tale. Yeah, weird shit happen. Not good. I'm not so no. many drugs. I never want to go on an adventure again. I don't. I've done this. done adventuring. Sorry. No, yeah. I mean people just really speculate that this encouraged her to leave yeah. on an adventure because she had read this book, but I knew nothing about the book. But like hearing your recap, one was not a good time. No, didn't have a good time on this adventure, and two, they went home. Yeah. They didn't stay adventuring in the world. They, yeah, they realized that they needed to be home. It was much better there. Exactly. And maybe she did leave with the intention of coming home because a lot of people think that she left thinking she was going to, I don't know, go on a quest or something. And then she was either apprehended by a crime of opportunity while she was out there or um, she got lost and surrendered to the elements while she was out there. I just have a hard time believing of her just leaving on her own accord yeah, mm-hmm. based on the weather. No, I agree. And it was a weird day. And she was afraid of the dark. Yeah. And dogs. And also, like, Valentine's Day at school is fun. It's fun. Why are you leaving then? Yeah. So unless there's something to that, like, unless school was going to be hard, but still, like, leaving on, I would have been, even if I had wanted to leave home, mm-hmm. I'd be like, you know what, let, let me wait for let a nicer night. Tough it through until it's not raining. And also, I have all of that V-Day candy. Yeah. Also, I think I would have taken a coat. I would have, like, thought, like, it's really cold. That's what leads me to believe, for whatever reason it was, she, like, left in a hurry. Yeah. Like, she had to be somewhere or something. To me, it adds up that she took the bag she already had packed. I don't think she, like, carefully packed the bag. Because the sounds of packing a bag are not just bed squeaking. They're loud. You have to open a drawer and close it, put things in the bag. There's zippers. There's a lot of noise. So while someone getting up and walking around a little might not wake up their sibling, packing a whole ass bag might. Mm -hmm. Like, I know, I don't know. I've I've slept in the same room as some real deep sleepers. And if you're busy for a while, they wake up. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. That's just, but we don't know what she would have been running from. There is no indication that she was ever mistreated at home. There is no indication that she lived in an abusive situation, although there are some people that speculate perhaps it was someone who worked at school. Right. Perhaps she was running away from something she felt she couldn't tell her parents, but was happening on a daily basis at school. Mm -hmm. So she was leaving, having to answer to that at school. Mm -hmm. 
which is, I mean, that's all sad, but the fact that she couldn't tell any of the adults in her life and there's so many. I know, but also at that age, you can be threats are real into believing that you can't say anything yeah which brings us to another theory. maybe you're protecting your family maybe yeah. yeah i mean at that age if someone is telling you i am doing these things to you and if you tell anyone about them i will kill every single person in your family you mm-hmm. go yep yep you're gonna kill everybody in my family i can't tell yeah. a single person and it doesn't even have to be like that nefarious either it, it doesn't be something i mean it was Valentine's Day. Maybe yep. it was like a Valentine that wanted her to come meet. You yeah. Know? And then that leads us to the speculation. Some people have that Asia may have been groomed by a person on the internet. Now, while she didn't have a computer in her home, she did go to the library mm-hmm. and she did use computers at school. And computers in the year 2000 were not tracing every single move they made. They have no records from these computers. They don't right. know if or who she spoke to. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leslie, you did a little little research on um, on this kind of stuff this week, yes? Yeah. So my research on this was actually more difficult than I expected, really? but then also wasn't as shocked because when we do cover missing cases or the runaways, not runaways cases, yep. The vagueness of it started to make sense to me again. Okay. And because the numbers in the stats for this is based on, a lot of them are based on children like 12 and 15 or 12 Mm -hmm. to 18. They're older. They're generally older. Also, anything with runaways that could have been from an online predator or anybody grooming them, they could also be kids that either come from a bad home, kids that come from, Um, that are like in the social, like with social services or homeless kids too. So Asia is just this weird percentage of children that seemingly come from a healthy home. Yeah. And everything we know she's little, she's young. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to put her into any of these categories. And they're not for her. They're not really for her, though she is at an age very susceptible to grooming. Absolutely. Because so, kids believe things at that age. Yeah. So I'm actually just going to read this like little ex- excerpt because it does kind of give oh, sure. some info. All right. So there are, and this is today. So in yes. 2000, I don't know how much info we had yet. We were, I feel like we were still acquiring this info, mm-hmm. though we did know, like I said, I, there were a ton of TV shows about like online predators for us. We were warned about them. I was not a sexy baby, so I did not get any warnings. So within the last year or two, there are an estimated 500,000 online predators active each day. Children between the ages of 12 and 15 are especially susceptible to be groomed and manipulated by adults they meet online. According to the FBI, over 50% of the victims of online sexual exploitation are between the ages of 12 and 15. An estimated 89% of sexual advances directed at children occur in internet chat rooms or through instant messaging. In over a quarter of all reported exploitation incidents, the online predator will ask a child for sexually explicit photos of themselves. 4% of children receive aggressive solicitations from adults online, including attempts to contact the children in person or over the phone. In addition, 58% of parents report being concerned about the threats that strangers pose online. And then this is like a fact maybe more connected to Asia. 
two out of 10 children between the ages of 8 and 11 are aware of the issue and are concerned that strangers may find out information about them, which I think out of she would have been the two that would have been aware. Yeah. Her mother was Yeah, so her concerned. mother was enough to say, like, we can't even have a computer. And while using social media, 40% of children remove privacy settings in order to attract friends or followers. So it's a little bit more of like an up-to-date one. Although when we were, so I'm thinking back to 2000, you know, say you'd be in a chat room for 18 plus. Yep. But you might be in there. Or if you're in a chat room under 18, you might be too old to be in there. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, The other interesting statistic that I found is that the majority of runaways, majority of children put into child sex trafficking are Black and Latinos. Mm -hmm. And the other number that I really hated finding out was that 41% of child sex trafficking is familia. Yeah, no, I knew that. A lot of times it's their parents. Mm Mm-hmm. Their parents yeah. do it. I just like didn't online. know that it was that large of a number. It's, it's almost 50%. Yeah, it's huge. I did know that one. I don't like knowing it, but I yeah. did know it. So um, what I'm going to do, because a lot of this information, the more I dived into it, the more it really didn't feel super connected to her case. Right. And it would be a lot of really dark speculation. Yeah. And if anything, the police, they have their info and maybe... Yes. They have, they can go further down that if they needed to, Mm -hmm. but I'm just going to, because it's still interesting information. So I'm just going to put these links that I found. Yeah. Um, One of the main sources is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So I'll throw that in there. And they have a whole thing too of like what you can do to contact if you know anything, if you suspect anything and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really dark channel. And there's not a lot of people who are like really Expressing that in this mm-hmm. case, because again, we just don't have any evidence that that's what it was. But there are quite a few people that expect she had spoken to someone and that's why she left. Right. Because there needs to be a reason that she left the house. Mm-hmm. And it's just, just so strange right. that no one has any idea why. And she just did this out of absolutely seemingly nowhere. Mm-hmm. Again, like no coat, walking out with your book bag and no coat. What do you... Right. Either someone is going to put you in their car real fast. You have to get away real fast. What is that? I know. It's also interesting because it's not like she, it doesn't seem like she set an alarm for herself to wake up at a certain time. No. So I don't, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. Yeah. The other thing is like, well, what scary thing woke her up and then made her like run as fast as she could out of the house? What did she think she saw? To never come back again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, once she was was out in the world, we don't know what happened. But she also, like, her family is nearby. She could have run to a house, you know? She absolutely could have. I don't know. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Now, the last, well, it's not the last theory. There are so many. But the Mm -hmm. last common theory that people like to drop into this is that she could have been sleepwalking. Mm Mm-hmm. Which you mentioned initially. Right. Before I really, like, knew the case, I was like, oh, sounds like she sleptwalked and just, like, got lost. Which is, it happens. Yeah. Definitely happens. But to me, what what says that that's not the case is that one, she eventually did respond to this truck driver calling her name and ran mm-hmm. into the woods. Two, um, she never surfaced. If you're, if you are a kid sleepwalking, eventually the freezing cold elements are going to wake you up. Yeah. You're going to get woken up. You just are. 
or the, the sound of cars, or you're going to trip. You, you can't be that cognizant of where you're going for that long of a time in the elements and never, ever wake up. Right. Eventually, she would have said, I need to find help. And she was along a highway. Mm-hmm. So you could have flagged a car down. Right. Also, I mean, if the truck driver woke her up, don't you think she'd be like, oh my God, yes, help me. Maybe not. Maybe she was trained to be afraid of strangers. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And then how did her bag get 26 miles away? Buried. Unless it was a crime of opportunity. I don't know. She had, so based on that day on Sunday, she had a weird sleep schedule. Yep. And she could have awkwardly, so if she was sleepwalking, it's almost like I could see where she like got herself up and ready and like, and went out and like, yeah. kind, like half ready. Grabbed just a book bag and put Grabbed. on pants with her nightgown yeah. and that kind of thing. And yeah. then she walked out the door to like go to her bus stop, but then just like walked the wrong way and just kept yeah. walking until she like, and then at some point woke up maybe from the truck driver and got and scared hit in that and shed. And then maybe somebody is lying in one of those things or there was a weird crime op- of opportunity. I don't know. Yeah, it just feels like there's a missing link in the chain. Yeah. Like there's several missing links in the chain. Why did she leave when she was out? Why did she stay when she's on the road? By On the road by herself. Mm-hmm. No one's with her. If she needed help, she could have gotten it and she she right. didn't, actively didn't get it. So she wanted to be running away mm-hmm. at one point in time. For at least a mile and a half of time, right. she wanted to be running away. There's also now an entire group of truckers that are alerted to a lone That female. is a very good point. I never even thought of that. that they just knew. popped in my head. There's a little kid walking along the side of the road by herself. None of the truckers ever said they heard anything, but there's your opportunity right there. Mm-hmm. And anybody with a CB radio can hear that. Not even yeah. just truckers. Exactly. Oh, I hate that so mm-hmm. much. Wow. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Yeah. This case is so sad, so frustrating, and so scary. It's very scary. And I, like, I know I didn't do this two times ago either, but, like, I can't, we would be dead this week. I can't do it. I don't know that she's dead. I don't know what would have happened in this circumstance. I don't know what would have happened to us in this circumstance Mm -hmm. because it's so wildly different. We're not a little black girl, and we don't know what she was running to or from, and we don't know what happened. Right. So um, I guess I'll get to that. I'll, I'll sign us off in a second. But I'm just saying it's just so open-ended. Yeah. Um, we'll provide the uh, tip lines and stuff for Asia Degrees case in all of our socials this week and in the show notes. And if you know anything, please don't hesitate. I mean, her mom says like the littlest thing in the world could be the biggest. Exactly. So anything, 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 get in touch with the police. Great. Yeah. Toast? Toast. Uh, to Asia, to Asia, and her family, her mom, mm-hmm. her dad, like just everyone. There's no one in this case. A lot of times we come out with, I can't toast anyone because everybody's kind of crap. Mm-hmm. But with this case, everyone's kind of good. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it's baffling. Yeah. I don't, we can't tell what happened. So to the degree family and Asia and anybody who helped them toast, we have anyone else to toast this week? We do. Oh, hooray! I love a toast. So, to our new patrons, myself. That's right. (laughs) Go, Leslie! (laughs) Um, We have Shanti. Yeah, Shanti. She is a best fiend forever. Love you. Thanks 
so much. Um, very good at chess. She is a... Um, we bringing that back? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I have to say it when it's needed. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, she's a, she's a strong competitor. Good. Yeah. Great. Love mm-hmm. it. Um, really thinks like several moves ahead. Always. It's wild. Uh, of yeah. course. Yeah. Well, you listen to us. You know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I would also like to give another toast to um, Kevin Blood because he just upgraded. Oh, yeah, Kevin. To Best Fiend Forever. Thank you so for upgrading. You toast. Thank you, sir. Yes, thank you so much. Cheers mm-hmm. to our new and and continued patrons. Yes, thank you for everything. Uh yeah, and I, I I'm having a hard time signing us off this week because there's just nothing to. I guess we could be dead. <laughs> what if I do my Valentine's Day one? Sure. <laughs> Leslie thought of this really cute tagline that we couldn't use, but. I can't say that we would be dead this week. I just can't in good conscience. And again, this is a case that we did in association with Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And um, it but just isn't my experience. Yeah. It just isn't. So. It's, yeah. We have hope. We do have hope. Mm-hmm. We have lots of hope. So I don't, yeah. don't want to say that we would be dead because mm-hmm. I don't know that she is or we would. Well, so since Leslie's this gonna be case cute. is very Valentine's Day oriented. Yes. Roses are red. Violets are blue. We would be dead if we didn't do what we do. We would be dead. I'm dead now. <laughs> Lizzie's cute, you guys. Bye! Bye. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Always cold with Captain Nips. Ooh.